I don't like boom. It's on. The football is on. No, I don't know. Keegan Renault is here. <laughs> Keegan Renault is here. And guess what? You're going to have to get used to him because um, he's just going to be a part of the podcast now. Keegan Renault of Soonerswire.com, USA Today. I mean, what else have you done? You do uh, podcasts on the prairie. Yes. You're doing another one. Like, is that, I mean, is there a name yet? There is not a name yet, but it is going to be strictly on the film study that me and two others do that follow Big 12 teams. Yeah. One with an Oklahoma State aspect of it, one with the Texas aspect to it. So it should be really, really fun. And then I'm on the uh, with Sam and uh, Chisholm from on 515 on Mondays and Fridays. And I know you're, on you're, Friday. on, you're on usually right after me. On, uh, oh, they on have Mon- me follow you. I think so. So that's why they always... On Mondays, I call in at 4. On Wednesdays, I call in at 5 or something. I, I don't know. Mm. I can't remember. I can't even remember. Really, long, st- long story short, everybody, I'm just going to say this. Um, so you guys are like, why does Brady sound like he's has a mental <laughs> illness right now? <laughs> so my uh, cousin graduated college, or his, his party was last night. And Brady had some Jägermeister and doesn't really remember a lot of last night. And... Uh, we're recording this right now at 8 o'clock at my apartment. This is the most that I've done all day, and this is the most that my mouth has moved. This is the m- cheeriest I've been all day. It's uh, it's, been a ver- it's been a struggle bus. I've it's only gotten sucked. in the pool, Brady. I've laid out, and I cleaned my room. There you go. And did a periscope. Yeah, you did a periscope. Uh, you showed me your sunburn. It's a wicked sunburn, uh, but tis the season. And uh, prayers for you. Hopefully, we can bounce <laughs> bounce back strong off that sunburn. But um, Keegan, we're all here to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts, and that is collage football and OU football, because it's the Inside OU podcast. Um, everybody, welcome back to the show. Obviously, like this is, I don't know, it's kind of awkward, I guess, but obviously, you know, the show has had to take a little bit of, you know, some changes. Uh, John Hoover is, of course, on now with uh, Sports Illustrated doing a kick-ass job. Uh, doing OU football like he always does and John you know love him to death I, I wish he was still you know I wish he was still in a work associate of mine because he's awesome um, and he's going to continue to be awesome but um, no one listens to the show for me and my crazy ideas and my like oh yeah Lincoln Riley's going to run a package with uh, Jalen Hurts and then Spencer Rattler on the field at the same time like no one gives a crap about my silly conspiracy ideas, so we need some talent. So Keegan, that's why you're here. So you're gonna have to be John Hoover. Right, I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll do. Hey, I'll do my best. And if if any like a certain you, certain someone said, if there was any way I could end up my career like John Hoover, that'd be great. No, like so I need you to ask Lincoln Riley. Why do you guys suck on the road? <laughs> I said, you know what? To, uh, today's that was a dumb three, question. Today's his three year anniversary, yes. and that's something. That's something I said on my Periscope was that if there is only one negative about the three-year tenure so far of Lincoln Riley's career, is there still continues, and I you're, I see where your face is already going with this, <laughs> there still continues to be a one-year slip-up, and I don't understand it. And I don't know game. when that one game every year where there's just well, something weird. It might have something to do with uh, there's still – like the fingerprints remain, you know, we'll get to that. But yes, today uh, is the three year anniversary that um, the reign of terror came to an end and Lincoln Riley uh, was named the head coach at the university of Oklahoma. And so much has happened in these three years, obviously so much has happened in the last month, so much has happened in the last three months, but 
Um, it's it's so weird that Lincoln Riley's only been the head coach for three years because, you know, like when he when he came to OU as the OC, Keegan, it was just so apparent that this was different. Like, because obviously OU had had great offensive coordinators before with um, Mike Leach, uh, Kevin Wilson, Chuck Long, even though Chuck Long, but he still had the he he had great teams, you know, great offenses, no doubt. Um, but it was so different that this was like this is a Lincoln Riley offense. And even though Bob was the coach, you know, in 2015 and 16, it felt like a different program, and it's it feels like the program that we have today. It's just more Lincoln Riley, if that makes sense. And so when you say it's only been three years, I'm just like, man, it feels like it's been longer. Because when I think of OU Tennessee 2015, mm-hmm. I think of Lincoln Riley. I don't really think of that as a Bob Stoops win, even though that it is. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, and and you go into his three years as a tenure, too, and you're talking about offense. We've seen three different offenses in his three years. You saw the Baker Mayfield, which was a little more air raidish than what people like me tend to tend yeah. to say no, and then like in 2018 with Kyler it was definitely more suited towards his ability to run the football a little bit mm-hmm. and then last year was I I would have loved to have been in the meeting room whenever they were drawing some of the stuff up and they were in 12 personnel with two full backs two H backs sorry and Jalen Hurts and a running back and just running it down people's throats and that just was not when you go look back at 2015 when he first came here and what people thought of what Oklahoma's offense was going to be under him yeah and then you look at where it was last year it's like it's almost seen its full evolution and I think it's very very intriguing um, from that regard especially when you're talking about him and this anniversary of him being at Oklahoma for three years yeah and, uh, and I can only imagine what the offense is going to look like now with Tanner Mordecai at quarterback because you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great competition. Are you fishing me? <laughs> I'm just not looking forward to hearing that crap. Actually, I take that back. I'm looking forward to hearing it because that means that we will have football. <laughs> That's true. Um, but when it does happen, I will roll my eyes into the back of my skull and just like, come on, come on. I know you don't want them to transfer, but no. Uh, I mean, you're right. It's 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 weird how adaptive Lincoln Riley is, even though he is. You know, he is just characterized as a Mike Leach disciple, therefore he's air raid guy. And he'll have his, you know, he'll mm-hmm. have his tendencies where he goes full Texas Tech and kind of forgets that he's got a great offensive line and a great stable of running backs. And he goes, oh, yeah, let me hand the ball off here and there. But for the most part, it's just been – it's been so weird. And I haven't had a chance to really read any of the, uh, the stories that have come out today about, like, like, I'm sure everyone's written about, like, this is the three-year anniversary. What's the program been like? What's – you know, Lincoln Riley, I know Eddie's been putting out, which also shout out to our good friend, Eddie Radosevich, mm-hmm. uh, go kick coronavirus in the ass. Um, I'm glad he's feeling good though. Yes. Yes. And he's feeling like he's obviously himself on Twitter, please. <laughs> so that, I mean, as long as the tweets keep coming, then that's Eddie, a, that's Eddie a good with thing. 14 days of nothing to do besides sit and be on Twitter is, it's frightening the content and intriguing at I know the same the, time. The content should be like overflowing <laughs> at this point. It's going to be great, but yeah, shout out um, to Eddie. Hopefully you will be fine and I'm sure you will, but um, he and Sooner Scoop are putting out like the top five mm-hmm. games of the Lincoln Riley career. And it, it's, it's really hard to put like a, like a label on the program under Lincoln mm-hmm. because, and I mean that in a good way because I feel like that it's, it's constantly getting better now. Like, like you said, like once a year, like the OU has that game where they just get Kansas stated or they get Iowa stated. It just happens. You, 
you follow any other team, like even Alabama, Ohio State. That hey, Clemson last year, Clemson almost lost on the road at North they Carolina North last Carolina. year. Yeah, like the point is, is like that happens pretty much to every. So it's it's hard to go undefeated. Mm-hmm. But you know, having said that, I still feel like the program is just in a constant state of improvement under Lincoln. And that's if I had to label it, it's just getting better when you're already like when you're damn near elite. Because obviously, OU's in the playoff. They've got the horses. They don't have all of them, but they're getting there, if that makes sense. And that, to me, is like the biggest thing about Lincoln Riley as a head coach. And you look at, for me, the confirmation of when that 2017 season, OU goes on the road to Ohio State. No one expected them to win that game. I didn't. (laughs) I didn't expect – I went to that game. I didn't expect them to win that game. That, to me, confirmed Lincoln's – ability to be a head coach at the University of Oklahoma and then for me that with a validation of that yeah was the win in Waco that the culture was good that he made the right decision as a defensive coordinator that he was willing to com- adapt to a quarterback that was completely different in his skill set and what he brought to the table to an offense all those things combined for me validated his status as an elite head coach in college football. Yeah. Even more so than going to two playoffs in his first two years and winning two conference titles because that was to be expected because of what he was handed. Yeah. So it's, it's ever evolving. It's ever, um, they're on the cutting edge of everything that they do. It's been very fun to follow and I'm intrigued to see what 2020 and beyond looks like, because like I said a second ago, it seems like they've, they've, their evolution of that offense is complete. They've gone from a raid in 2015 to a power running scheme in 2019. Yep. And now with Tanner Mordecai, Tanner as, the, Mordecai as the quarterback. Spencer Rattler. Or Spencer. Or uh, who's the dude that you like? Tanner Schaefer. Tanner Schaefer. Great dude. <laughs> Sure, he's a wonderful human. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we'll see what Chandler Morris is able to do. With, oh yeah, Chandler Morris. Um, once his time comes, but he's the next Baker Mayfield. You know that we'll get into that conversation. Hey, oh, can we? T- let's talk about that on July fourth. Yeah, yeah, plenty of time. We plenty of time, and obviously, like I've already mentioned, uh, Keegan will be a part of the podcast moving forward. Um, so, if you've followed along this entire time, I think. One of the first episodes, John and I basically said, yeah, we're not going to do recruiting. <laughs> it more than has its place in my mind. Like, the problem that I just have with it is just, yeah, like, 18-year-olds can change their minds. And then it just makes me mad that, all right, I knew um, – let me let me try and think. There's It's like – it's I need an example of, like, a let's say, like, a linebacker who had maybe I've got a good. Exa- I've got a good yeah. example for you. Cameron Rising. Oh, I remember him. Or, like, maybe there was a linebacker that may at one time been committed to OU, and then let's say that, like, money fell out of the sky and uh, Tim Kish just ran out of time. Let's just say that those two things happened and that player wound up at, I don't know, Louisiana State University. Mm-hmm. Yes. That angers me. <laughs> so that's why I don't put all my eggs in the recruiting basket. Right. It's just, like, I know who OU's kind of going after. Um, you're very helpful on Twitter, kind of keeping everybody abreast <laughs> about OU recruiting. So I, I follow it by that standard. I'm just not like in depth with it enough to be able to talk about it like you can. Right. But that's where you're going to podcast a little bit smarter. You know, I, I think, you know, along the same lines, like what I have noticed with recruiting and recruits in general, 
is they understand their brand is starting at that time. They're, mm. So you're now saying, oh, I've got a big announcement to make. Oh, it's a top 12. It's a top 14. It's a top 50. Um, so that's <laughs> so that part of it, I understand. I get it. It's frustrating to even deal with. But at the same time, that's part of the game that has to be played now because these guys are trying to build up their brand as much as possible and before they even step foot on campus. And it it really looks like Lincoln and and OU are, like, really trying to be progressive in that. Right. In that understanding of, like, like, something as simple as these players, when they sign on signing day, like, they have their own little logo. Right. And it's like, that's cool. You know, it's cool. Like, yeah, I don't get into recruiting that much, but when, like, when you see the effort and you see the desire in Lincoln Riley to identify, okay, like we're good. Like OU is really, they're an elite school, but they're not there yet. In order to get there, you have to do all these things that may seem silly to, you know, like maybe some old timers or some fans that are just like. The stick to sports crowd. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) which uh, I guess I should say now, I I told you I was going to say this at the beginning (laughs) of the show. So maybe I'll uh, fix this netting, put it at the beginning, but. Uh, yeah, if you're a racist, please don't please don't listen to this podcast. Like, just don't. Does that mean we're going to turn it into a, we're going to talk about the issues of the day, you know, that are bigger than football? No, like, probably not. Unless, right. you know, we might get into it a little bit later once we get into the Lincoln-Riley uh, Zoom call that happened uh, earlier today. Or, or, no, that was Sam Presti. Uh, earlier in the week. But, yeah, just from a standpoint of, if you're going to watch a sport that's played predominantly by uh, black people, you probably should. You probably shouldn't watch. You probably shouldn't watch it if you're racist. Therefore, don't listen to this podcast, and then we can all be happy and be mentally prepared because these protests that are going on right now that you're seeing across the country. Imagine what it's going to be like when the NBA comes back, when the MLB comes back, when college football comes back, when the NFL comes back. Just be mentally ready. If you're not a fan of it, you're not a fan of the, what they're going to do. Then just be mentally ready for it, and we're not. This isn't going to be a podcast, and I can. I think I could speak for both of us in that regard. That is going to sit here and downplay the significance of what they're doing. Of course, and yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I guess we can get right into the Lincoln Riley thing then, uh, the conference call. But um, obviously, Keegan, I'm not on it. Mm-hmm. Um, ju- I guess just kind of go back over Lincoln's whole, his mind, his thoughts, because overall. OU and Lincoln Riley have been very genuine, in my opinion. And it's like, yeah, I'm an OU fanboy. But whenever coaches have put out the correct way of thinking, right? Um, t- that includes Tom Herman, <laughs> some, some have seemed genuine. Others have seemed, I've got a team full of black players. In order to be in their good graces, I have to put out a generic Black Lives Matter tweet. Right. Know? Like some have seemed disingenuous. Like Mike, yeah, like Mike Norvell uh, at Florida State. Oh, God, that is a headache. Yeah, you that know. is terrible. But any, like, but Lincoln Riley has been very, um, very out there, mm-hmm. you know. And I, that makes me happy, you know. Like again, like I'm gonna say it for the third time. Uh, football teams, the football is predominantly played by African Americans, and if you don't have that understanding, um, what everybody is protesting for, you shouldn't have that position as head coach in the first place. Because you just, yeah, you just you are questioning. There are so many questions there, but uh, Lincoln and OU have seemed very forward-thinking with everything, but just kind of go into what uh, uh, Coach Riley said at the conference call. You know, in that regard, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was that he 
made it be known and wanted it to be known for sure that this was his inner belief anyways, that he, if there was going to be a protest, he didn't have to be the head coach of the University of Oklahoma to go be a part of it. He didn't have to say all the things that he did because he's the head coach at Oklahoma Mm -hmm. in terms of the all lives can't matter until black lives do too. You know, all those things, I think, and but I think the most important, he said all those things, which is what everybody else is saying, but I think the most important is that you know, he wasn't, he said he wasn't raised in a household that... He wasn't raised in a in household? household. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my gosh. It is Mule Shoe, Texas. Yeah. yeah. They, um, don't have, they don't have homes. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> no, Mule Shoe, Texas, shout out. But anyways, no, I, he said he wasn't raised in a household where the skin of your color makes you better than anybody else. And I think he said all of that from his own personal belief, from his own heart. And that I think that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me, and it was powerful in, in that regard. And um, you know, with outside of that though, in terms of the conference call in general, I thought it was very interesting to hear him talk about that. Yes, the, them not coming back until July first because of this phase in process is going to give them an advantage in terms of seeing what other people are doing. You don't ex- usually hear Oklahoma say, "Hey, I'm." we're going to wait around on somebody, but they are saying, Hey, this is going to give us an advantage. And I think that is a huge, because you think about Oklahoma and I said earlier on the cutting edge of what they do, that's different. This is them taking a step back, understanding the seriousness of the situation and taking advantage of seeing what's going on around the country and what other teams are doing. And I think that from hearing that from Lincoln was different. And I think it's a huge step, too, that they aren't afraid to sit back and watch what others are doing, as well as being on the cutting edge and the progressive mindset and the forward thinking that they've done. Yeah. Uh, you know, and kind of go into it. And I'm, I'm going to pull up my laptop to get Please the quote do. real quick. Yes. Uh. Um, but they there hasn't been, and this is something, and you, Brady, you know I was able to get, attain this information on or that Friday night when it seemed like everything was an in, inevitable in terms of a phase and process of coming out. Yeah. That this their phase and process is still not officially in place yet. They, I know I at the time on that Friday I heard that they were even discussing whether they could fly people back to Oklahoma or not. Yeah. Um, that they can get the proper masks and PPE equipment for the players to come back to Oklahoma. So with that said, I, I do want to give this quote because this is the quote from Lincoln in its entirety about the phase in process that he did, the details that he did give. The quarantine for us will happen starting in mid-June. I don't want to get too much in the weeds with this, but the general thought is depending on where our players are at, where they're coming from, there's a plan in place, kind of a set of guidelines that we go through as far as where they can quarantine. A lot of our players will be able to quarantine if they're at their homes. The majority of our players will be able to quarantine there. Then we've got some safe ways being able to bring them back. I think in that essence, I'm talking about the PPE. I think he's talking probably about the PPE and and maybe flying. The seven safe ways we're able to bring them back and preserve the integrity of that quarantine through any travel back here. It's a pretty intensive process, but again... I think it's necessary, and obviously the goal is with that quarantine to get every single player and staff member here on campus and start off with everybody not having the virus. Then obviously the next step is keeping that away. I do want to mention, though, there's been – I saw four. I listed four teams earlier. There's probably more. Alabama. I've seen Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, and Oklahoma State have had players test positive. 
for mm-hmm. COVID nineteen, and it's going to keep happening. And, and it's going. To, this is not something that when athletic NBA, departments are unexpecting. They're, it's not going to be a yeah. surprise to them. This is what they expected to happen, which is why they have a process of quarantining these players and an area for them to quarantine whenever they come back. Yeah, when the NBA comes back, like players will test positive for COVID nineteen. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen. And that's why the NBA is coming back with the understanding of. Yeah, just because one player is going to test positive does not mean we're going to shut it down because you don't come back in the first place. So um, I guess this phase back in process with Oklahoma, though, I guess the interesting thing that I thought of was just Lincoln's like insistence on it doesn't matter if they come back in June or July. Mm -hmm. It's like we need X amount of months to prepare for a football season. If we get we meet that number, it's fine. I just can't help but think. It's probably the asshole, like someone like the asshole that emailed uh, Ryan Aber. Um, if OU loses like the, that one game this mm-hmm. year, God damn it, they should have <laughs> came back in June, God June first. Yeah, they. That, I mean, it's gonna happen. Now, I'm I'm mentally prepared. Oklahoma for State's it. gonna beat us. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see the response, especially even not then. Imagine if OU comes out slow against Tennessee. That first half, because Tennessee came back on June 8th. Yep. So, if Tennessee comes up and they're more prepared or whatever, physically, whatever, and it's a slow start for OU, then that's definitely – that's something that's going to happen. Or what if OU starts off hot but then die in the fourth quarter because they're not conditioned, conditioned. they're not as conditioned. Reverse 2015 OU Tennessee. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! I don't. I don't foresee that right now. But I haven't done a no, ton no, no. of research Tennessee on sucks. Tennessee. Tennessee sucks. Yeah, yeah. They. I mean, they've they've got a pre- they'll have pretty good defense. Their quarterback probably would not even be the third string at OU. So they had good players too when OU beat them mm-hmm. in 2015 and in 2014. Mm-hmm. I uh, still think Jalen Hurd is a uh, good running back. I don't know. I don't really know what happened to him, but it, he ended up transferring to, to uh, Baylor. Baylor yeah, yeah, and played wide receiver. Did he play? I thought he played linebacker. tight end or wide receiver, one of the two. I could have swore he got switched to defense. Oh well, you know, inconsequential. Um, no, it, it's just interesting to me that Lincoln is just like, no, we we need X amount of months. We're gonna be fine. Everyone's gonna be fine. Assuming we get football in the fall, of course. Yeah, and, and then the other thing I thought was interesting, though, on this conference call was he kind of – he was asked about it, so he answered the question, but he openly brought up the idea of coaches being involved in these voluntary workouts. And if coaches get too involved, if they break the rules, blah, 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 blah. I've been steadfast for the last month saying that it's not – going to be a it's not a disadvantage for Oklahoma coming back these are the same workouts they've been doing for two months during this coronavirus deal and they uh they're just going to be monitored now they're just going to be monitored by the strength staff you know injured guys are going to have more uh oversight on rehab and talking about guys like what uh Jane Hazelwood back on campus all you know those kind of guys so I thought it was interesting to hear him openly talk about the fact that coaches, if that does happen, or it may, it's going to happen. I, I, it's going to happen at most places. It, I, I probably more so than not, where coaches are going to be involved, especially <coughs> in the SEC conference, whenever compliance departments aren't huh? as hard on their coaching staffs. Football. Uh, and then t- 
then you kind of look transition that into looking at OU and their compliance department. They're not going to get away with anything. Cussing allowed on here? Oh, you can say what the fuck you want. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not going to get away with shit on yeah. uh, whenever they come back. Though, if Lincoln even pops his head in, they will probably report it to the NCAA. Well, what if Lincoln actually? What if he just takes? What if he gets lost? It's a big building. Mm-hmm. These are big buildings that, that they work in. Come on now. I, I, that, that to me is just. This is already a silly situation. This is already a surreal situation. Pandemic. Um, it's a public health concern. People's lives are at stake. There are more important things than football, of course. We already talked about Black, uh, Black Lives Matter. Of course, uh, the public health concern is there. At the same time, why are we going to be extra silly about an already weird situation? Just fucking let him go in there. Like, just... Why? Oh, you can compliance. Will you please just have fun for once in your life? <laughs> you suck. Uh... You suck. I, I, if you listen to this, are you compliance? I don't endorse that last message. I know Keegan doesn't, uh, but I'm I'm just a fanboy, <laughs> and the a fan of the school you work for does not like you. Go ahead. Um, so you know, I like you said, I think it is interesting. I do want to bring up they are contemplating the idea, and the NCAA kind of already have come out with it, or at least has leaked it to a reporter or two about a six-week training camp instead of a four-week training camp because of the loss of spring football. Yeah. That probably, to me, that equals the playing field for everybody. Yeah. Because whether you're back on June 8th or you're back on July 1st, everybody at that point is going to be going through the same conditioning, the same physical aspect of football Mm -hmm. for six weeks. Um, Now, some guys will probably have to catch up as more than others – but at the same time, I I think that from an Oklahoma standpoint here, I think everybody's fine. The only guys I'd be, you know, Jalen Redmond, who's had weight problems before. This offensive line, all of them put on like 10-plus pounds over the winter. Those yeah. would be the guys, if I was in a fan, those would be the guys I'd be worried about. Yeah, and see, that's the thing that, like, I'm glad you brought it up about the six-week training camp proposal because – that to me was the important thing because pe- people shit on spring football because when they sh- when they talk about spring football they talk about man these spring games are boring and you never learn anything from them. That's not what spring football is like to me. Like the biggest loss of not having spring was assistant coaches and position coaches that go into the spring thinking either this guy makes a leap now mm-hmm. or he's never going to. And you find out those battles in the spring and then you you kind of even out and flesh out all the the ins and outs in the summer, and then you get into fall. They didn't have that. So OU's coaches, obviously they have a much better understanding of their players than we do on the outside, but they missed out on, like, spring position battles. Mm-hmm. And this is a team, especially on the defensive side of the football, that's lost a lot of le- leadership. Kenneth Murray, um, I mean, who who is that? Like, who is their leader going to be? The, the secondary has a gigantic question mark on it, even though they have players coming back. But what was the thing from last year? Grinch was just open and honest about we should have more competition for mm-hmm. the starting safety spots. And that's a, that's a problem. Even though Patrick Fields and Delarian Turniel were not the reasons why OU's defense in the peach bowl. It was peach bowl. Yep. Even I forgot about it. Um, I don't remember that game. Um, <laughs> sucked. Even though DTY wasn't in the game, right. you know, 
at the same time, like you miss out on that. So hopefully if the six week training camp proposal takes place, if that actually happens, oh, you can, oh, you can at least, I guess, regain some lost ground on that. Credit to Ryan Chapman, who works for the franchise with bringing that idea up about the lack of leadership and yeah, how that's going to be, that's going to be a problem um, for Oklahoma heading into the fall because they just didn't, they don't, like you look at a Patrick Fields, a guy that the whole locker room respects. You saw him yesterday. In three years, he's already getting into the master's program in business. Dude is smart. Um, to me, he's a really good dude. Uh, but at the same time, yes, can he be a leader in that defense? Is he a guy that people respect? Absolutely. But the best teams, the best groups, the best units, your best player needs to be your leader. Yeah. Patrick Fields, although I, I think for what his position brings to the table, it's not, you know, one of those things that he has to be this ultra-athletic, impactful player. He's the last line of defense. He needs to be in position. He needs to be disciplined. He needs to be coachable. And all those things do show up on tape, that he is clearly reading the keys that his coaches are telling him to and all those things. But he's not going to be the most impactful player on your defense. And the lack of leadership on, on that side of the ball, you got Creed Humphrey on the, on the offensive side, so that's not a worry. But on the other side, who's it going to be? And I think that that is a major, major question mark heading into the season because if the last time Oklahoma lacked leadership on the defensive side of the ball, 2014, and we – the destruction of that defense as the season went on happened. I don't know why this just popped in my head, but when you were talking about earlier about the full evolution of Lincoln Riley's offense, can you imagine Josh Heupel calling plays for Jalen Hurts? Oh, <laughs> he'd have no idea. You're well, going to throw it 50 times, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even think about that because look at what he did to Trevor Knight in 2014. I, exactly. He, he made he, – Josh just coached every quarterback like he was Landry Jones. I, I have opinions about Landry Jones, but if you want to ask Landry to throw the ball 40 to 50 times, he can do that. I still feel like if they would have thrown 60 times against Notre Dame in 2012, OU would have played in a national championship. Really? They threw. I think they threw it under 40, and then after every game, either after that or before that, they he was throwing it 45-plus. Gosh. I, you may, I, people may need to fact check me on that, but I believe that's correct. They did not throw it as much against Notre Dame as they did the rest of that year. I feel like they didn't throw it as much because Notre Dame's defense just kept Suffocating. OU on or off, off, and off the field. I, I can't remember. Uh, it's a Bob Stoops year. Uh, Bob Stoops ruined my childhood, as all of our listeners understand. Um, he ruined your childhood too, Keegan, no matter what I'd, you th- – he ruined it. He ruined everyone's childhood. He he's quite possibly one of the worst people to ever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. No, that's that is the Maybe. conversation from you know. <laughs> I think he does get credit for the 2011-2014 era of OU football. Uh, the the dark times. Yeah. Before and, now, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about for Oklahoma fans, dark times that are my age. Matt, I can't even imagine what the '90s were like for people. Man, okay, all right, well, all right let's go, let's go, let's go there. The '90s were five seasons. They were when when you think of the '90s, literally 1990 to '99, or like that's when Stoops got there. But so from '90 90 to '98, it wasn't terrible. The day 
it turned the calendar turned to 1990 for OU football. 1990, 91, 92, 93 OU teams were actually kind of good. They just had bowl game bans. They they weren't as good as Switzer teams, of course. And then Schnellenberger got hired, and then it started to suck. <laughs> so the 90s, quote-unquote, it was just five seasons, and they were awful. They were awful, 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 awful. There's a bunch of magazines right behind you, Sooners Illustrated magazines, and some of them are from the John Blake era. And my goodness, the takes of those times, they're, uh, they're quite funny. I will release some. Bob won with Blake's players, though, right? Isn't that he, the mis- Isn't well, that the joke? I mean, that's a fact. <laughs> I mean, it is a fact. I mean, but you got to obviously you credit Bob Stoops for being, you know, a good coach and understanding. You need to go play that position. You need to be utilized in this way, and then getting the most out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he coached for another sixteen years. Yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, I I get if your if your mentality is national championship or bust at Oklahoma every single year. Then yes, I I understand the frustration. Well, but well, the well, those people are morons. Because <laughs> that's just that Alabama doesn't even win a national title every year. No. And but at the same time, if you're t- want to talk about Oklahoma's sustained success, I mean I think all the credit does go to Bob. But 2011 through 2014 did happen, and 2013 may have been his best coaching job as a head coach at Oklahoma during his tenure. But this program was still at a point to where they couldn't compete at that level because recruiting fell off. And so now we're seeing, and we're still in that and, and they're now, still in that phase trying to dig ourselves out of that hole. They're two, probably a year away, probably one more recruiting class away from being able to really say we've solidified past that era. But yeah, no, I think, but I think the complaints are valid. You and I have talked endlessly about this <laughs> this conversation. Someday we'll, we'll release the transcri- transcripts <laughs> of our uh, Twitter group message. There, uh, <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll release one line and not uh, not say who said it because it it wasn't you though, Keegan, and it wasn't me. But uh, Mike Stoop should be put on trial for war crimes. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, okay, so. On that subject, though, should OU fans be excited about Isaiah Coe? Interesting topic. Yes. I think, you know, this is a guy that I don't have as high on my board of guys Oklahoma could go get. He's actually lower. You know, you're talking about guys that may be committed elsewhere. Marion Banks, I want to say, I believe that's his name. Um, he's currently committed to Texas Tech from the Wichita Falls area. That's a guy defensive tackle that could play defensive tackle that I would have higher than Isaiah Coe. That's a guy that Oklahoma, if they wanted to, could fall back on. And then you look at Kelvin Gilliam, the D.C. area guy, the guy from Virginia that's close with Caleb Williams, who isn't an Oklahoma commit, that Oklahoma's high on. And then you look at Marcus Burris. Well, wait a minute, Keegan. Caleb Williams is not committed to Oklahoma. I don't know if you didn't know. Yeah, so – yeah. Um, <laughs> See why I don't like yeah. recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Marcus Burris, at the same time, is another big-time defensive tackle that Oklahoma is extremely high on, that he is extremely high on Oklahoma. That's not a guy I would have above Isaiah Coe either. So then you trace back to the Isaiah Coe conversation. Probably one of the weirder commitments. I mean, I can't even – I don't – I think the Lackawanna guys from two or three years ago and Capri Doucette and Emmanuel Beal, that how shocking the Emmanuel Beal commitment oh, was. Oh yeah. Like it's that's how that time. that's how that feels. It this is but at the same time, 
I'm not sure Isaiah Coe is going to end up signing with Oklahoma at the end of the day. And this is basing off a conversation I had two weeks ago. Yep. Not currently. I don't know anything that's up to date on Isaiah Coe. But from what I understood, that Oklahoma wasn't as bullish on Isaiah Coe as Isaiah Coe was on Oklahoma. Yeah. And then now he's committed to Oklahoma. None of the defensive staff has acknowledged it. None none of the – the only acknowledgement we have and the only one that I will accept is that Lincoln Riley went and liked the tweet. Yeah, so, like, we we need to, like – you need to write something for Sooners Wire where you just kind of rank and tier, like, how something becomes official on Twitter when you're following the OU coaching staff. So, it's like – if they like it, that's like the lowest form of acknowledgement. <laughs> if they retweet it, that's like a step higher. Mm-hmm. If and then, of course, if the you eye, get eyeballs, the, the yeah. eyes is like the pen, is like heaven, yeah. pinnacle of everything, and you're you're like you're the coolest person ever. Tibbs has always Coach Thibodeau, the defensive or Calvin Thibodeau, the defensive line coach at Oklahoma. He always sends out War Daddy alert whenever a commitment comes or after the commitment comes. You have I have yet to see it. Well, one I can't see it because I'm blocked. <laughs> two, two, I have yet to see a tweet from him in that regard. Huh. So what? So where? Yeah. That that the problem. I think now, if May- people are listening to this, I think the biggest thing for me is the numbers and how it's going to work out. Yeah. Oklahoma currently, I have them at eighty-four scholarships. It could be eighty-three. It could be eighty-five. I don't think anybody truly actually knows based off something you and I both heard for the first time a couple weeks ago about, and I need to ask about in terms of scholarships, maybe for some guys not being full in that regard, although I know football scholarships need to, they have to be full. So I'm confused, Mm but at the same time, they're at 84 or 85 scholarships. They only have 11 or 12 guys graduating this year. That means... Oklahoma, as I have it right now, can only take like eight more guys with seven guys committed. So they're going to have to have three or four guys go to the NFL. They're going to have to have three or four guys transfer. And now you've got Isaiah Coe, who's committed, who may not work into your numbers come signing day. But then the situation then is, and I agree to this side of the conversation, is if you're not as confident in landing Marcus Burris and Kelvin Gilliam, why would you tell Isaiah Coe he doesn't have a spot? Welcome to recruiting yeah. in 2020. Gosh. So basically, OU, they asked a lot of girls out to the prom, mm-hmm. and they had their ideas of, like, I really want this girl to say yes. I hate to say what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. but Isaiah Coe was, like, the third or fourth one Yeah, on the list. and now that someone, like, replied and said yes, OU's just kind of like, Yay! <laughs> right. Yeah, this is it's like the equivalent of uh, when Dwight did was the leader of the party planning committee, and it was the it is your birthday period. It's like that's that's all the fanfare. Are you going to bring up? A, am I going to have to actually watch The Office if I'm on you've this podcast? Se- you've seen the GIF. It is your birthday period. You know. Anyway, um, that's the amount of fanfare that Isaiah Coe uh, got from the OU coaching staff. But you know what? I, I, Iowa I, I, Western, by the way. I don't know. I feel bad because I don't want to trash this kid. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a very important position that OU has obviously lacked. I mean, Neville Gallimore got drafted. That was great. And we all know, after watching Neville Gallimore, 
athletically supernova freakish. Mm-hmm. And when he's able to put it all together, he is a great player. The problem was always just uh, staying healthy, of course, consistency. And then even when he had success last year, it was like, well, he's not going to be asked to be doing the same things in the NFL. So he's still going to have to make that leap. But at the same time, he's, he was raw coming into OU anyway. So hopefully he can take that next step. But um, even with Neville Gallimore, OU was still leagues behind other elite schools on defense and it always starts in the trenches. And then when you've got one guy, that's kind of a jag it's, I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm just not, I'm not excited. If the f- coaching staff's not excited, why should I? Why should I, I, s- I see him as a lesser Chuka and Dulele. And Chuka, it, and Chuka became a really good player for OU. It took him a while though. Right. It took him a few years. And we're talking about a guy that's only going to have see a three year Chuka. Two. I, th- I haven't been able to get that, but I believe He's a two for three. He played okay. one year at Iowa Western last year. He didn't redshirt. So he's going to have three years, sorry, to play two. And my, I mean, this is where my kind of criticism of it comes is, why would you take a guy that's not a finished product at a junior college? Or he is supposed to be closer to a finished product coming out of junior college. Yeah. that's. But he has a long ways to go. Yeah, and that that's usually the idea for JUCO players is – you typically you need a stopgap at that position. You need someone to come in right away because you're graduated. Or someone went to the NFL, and the guys behind him are all like were true freshmen the previous season. They're just not ready physically, or they don't have the game down, or they're just not that good. Yeah, and so like those same, I guess, criticisms, those same ideas. Like yeah, I have them too when it concerns Isaiah Coe. But you know what? Oh, you got a defensive tackle! Yay! <laughs> Yeah, and we'll see. And I think this is something I talked about today. That as a fan, are you worried that this run on commits that's been hinted at from the Oklahoma's coaching staff for so long? I mean, it's like it was I've first the series. It. It's yeah. it was first it was the series three, and now you're now you're hearing that Christian Leary may not be a take because of numbers. Yeah, not because of his interest, and that's gone. And then you hear, oh, we're heating up over this, over that. Okay, where is it at? You get Mario Williams. You get Clayton Smith. And I'm not downgrading those commitments. But you thought the dominoes were about ready to start falling, heading into Caleb Williams' commitment date, which is not set. Maybe Independence Day. But, the future is not set. Um, But when you look you know, at the whole and the entirety of that, situation like you're promised something basically from a coaching staff and it's now two weeks three weeks past those two guys's commitments where what's going on then that's and I think for as a media member for me that's I'm a point where I think that's a valid question no it's a question I I think I think we've just been so accustomed to Lincoln Riley's recruiting in the off season where it's pretty much planned out. You pretty much, if you have a little bit of a beat on the game, you understand what's going to happen. And there aren't really that many surprises. I mean, Jace McClellan leaving on signing day to Alabama is a surprise, but I think we all kind of knew it was coming Mm -hmm. in like the days before. So I guess initially it's kind of like a, Oh gosh, that's, that's surprising. But 
I think just because like recruiting is just such a chaotic game in the first place. If I mean I know Caleb Williams like what July fourth is not the official date that he's going to like he hasn't officially said that's when he's going to make his decision. No comment. No comment. Um, if basically if we get in the middle of summer and stuff ain't planned and stuff isn't set in stone, there there will be problems. Right, and I think it's and that's scary because we of that potential at the same time it's like i'm sure they understand way they obviously understand way more than what we do if if he waits if it's not july 4th and maybe he waits is a as a fan do you want to see oklahoma pursue brock vandegrift again i don't see why not now i remember early on um because if there is one thing recruiting that i do follow it's quarterback and it's i mean the reasons are obvious um, when Brock committed to OU, obviously I was like, well, that's cool. It's really surprising. And that's really early. Um, at the same time, I knew about Caleb Williams. And when I just think of Lincoln Riley quarterback, and I know Brock's kind of an athlete in his own right, but Caleb is by far a better athlete. And if you just want to unlock Lincoln Riley potential on offense, you've got to have a dynamic quarterback. Right. If you have a statue out there, and Brock's not a statue, I'm not saying that, but relatively speaking, when you have a statue out there, you're you you got one hand tied behind your back the way the game is played now. And Caleb, I I don't know if that means Caleb if Caleb Williams is a better player. I don't know if that means that at all. But I just like that extra dynamic he brings to the table. So um, if he didn't end up at OU, then of course, like you want to go after the next best thing, and that would be Brock Vandegrift, and you just want to keep those avenues open. But like you, you were. Uh, you ha- you were really out there with uh, Lincoln's, not necessarily burning bridges with uh, what was his name Bryce, Bryce Young Bryce Young, um, which it's a it's a good thing like there's only so many quarterbacks it's one position and there's only so many of them that are good enough to be able to play at a school like OU so when you're recruiting them you're gonna have good relationships with most of them I would hope mm-hmm. and those will continue on. And then you never know. And with the success OU's had in the gra- in the transfer portal, why burn bridges right. in the first place? You don't burn these kids to the ground if they don't choose your school because they might end up at your school. And, and I guess to unpack the Bryce Young, if, if you don't follow me on, on Twitter, a year after he committed to USC, he, Bryce Young was never going to end up coming to Oklahoma because of Spencer Rattler. Yep. But if Spencer Rattler wasn't in Oklahoma – Bryce Young would have been a Norman. Yeah. Um, year after he committed to USC, I was down in the I was down at the opening, and I was actually going to say something about that here in a sec. But I was down at the opening, and I was interviewing him for a story on Lincoln and on out-of-state recruits, why California kids have such a love affair with Oklahoma. And but I asked him about Lincoln, like, what is it about him? And he goes, you know, what's funny is he reached out to me this morning, mm-hmm. a year after he committed to USC. And six months before he flipped to Alabama. So what does that say about Lincoln Riley, the recruiter? And that's why I posed the question about Brock. I think Caleb Williams is locked in. I think this is a guy that has been locked in. He's been recruiting for Oklahoma behind the scenes. Go look at his likes. And I haven't gone even down that road. Well, people have pointed it out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, like you said, like, Ultimately, it's this isn't a who is the better fit because Caleb Williams 
his biggest impact may not even be on the field. It may be what he's doing right now for the program. Yeah. Because I have made the joke, and I'm not there to actually go there with that take quite yet, that it's going to be funny when Chandler Morris gets to play with all of Caleb Williams' recruits. But that's what I'm kind of saying is that you look at the offensive line. Tristan Lee, Oklahoma was not probably not even in his top five. And then top seven for sure, though, but not top, top five. five. And then all of a sudden, the Lee stuff starts coming. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma's out front. Oklahoma's in a Clemson is needs to be worried. And then you look at other other positions too. Emeka Abuka, mm-hmm. another guy. No word on him at all. And I credit to a good friend of ours, Stephen Brown, who had brought up the fact that Oklahoma was more involved there than we thought at the time. Not a guy on my radar, but all of a sudden you hear Caleb Williams has reached out to him. All of a sudden Oklahoma's in his top four. All of a sudden Oklahoma has momentum in his recruitment. All those dominoes can fall, but at the same time, like his commitment potential, whenever it is, and I'm not, I know it's a rumor. I don't know it for sure. It's July 4th. I just want to say that. But if it's not, if four to five guys don't follow that in the month of July, why did they wait? Why did they have this situation to wait? I'm not trying not to be too critical of the staff or kids in general, but no, you just follow the trends. And yeah, wrong. it's you know it's one of those things you saw you know with the 2019 class they came in droves, they came in droves. They followed dominoes were falling, dominoes were falling, this and that. So, but I did want to say this: you're talking about either Caleb Williams or Brock Vandegrift for Lincoln in 20. Uh, for the 2021 class. How much do you enjoy going to summer league and getting to see those rookies play and kind of get your first yeah. idea of what it is? Yeah, it's yeah, it's fun because, I mean, because a lot of them, I mean, sometimes like last year you didn't get to see Jaw or Zion, so that sucked. But typically, like, yeah, this is like your first look at the next great NBA player mm-hmm. wearing an NBA jersey playing against some NBA players. And then they're right next to you and they're kind of available to talk to. So it's like... This won't ever happen again. Right, <laughs> right. So then where I'm going with that is I got to, and you, you followed me, and you knew of where I was down there, and I was evaluating guys left and right and letting you and other people know what was going on, what I was seeing, what yep. I was doing. And, typic- and those things have kind of come to fruition in terms of the evaluation, in terms of what I was seeing down there, because it's the elite of the elite. Uh, down there at the opening, the Elite 11, the opening finals, the Elite 11, that's down at the Star in Frisco. That sucks, the fact this that this has happened. Now, granted, I know it's life, and there's much bigger things than sports, but there's not a single OU media member that's probably going to get to see Caleb Williams play. Very, or If there is, it's going to be very few yeah. that cover the team, or that don't that either cover recruiting or maybe one or two that cover the team. So we're really not going to get a firsthand evaluation to to tell OU fans about what to expect. Because what I'm working on right now is a guy, I see him fitting in more a Jalen Hurts-style offense than a Kyler Murray offense because of the arm talent. And that right there, if that is the case, and we saw what happened at times with Oklahoma's offense last year, when you have a guy that's incapable of being able to make throws all, all all over the field. And that's where I'm at with Caleb. Now he's a junior. He still has another year to grow. He still has another year to put it on tape. 
and there's a lot smarter people than me that have evaluated him in person that could probably tell you where he's at in terms of his in terms of his progress as a quarterback and there's a reason why he's the number one quarterback in the country yeah. but based off what we've been given to see I'm just not I'm not there yet and I'd have two quarterbacks JJ McCarthy and I'm about to say Brock Hoer that's his old dad or maybe cousin D- or nephew Damon Hoer, Damon Hoer, Brock Hoer. Um, I, I can't even say their last name right my, <laughs> my accent but there's a lefty he's from the state of Washington that's committed to Washington the University of Washington I, I'd have him as my number one quarterback and he's a lefty and then you got JJ McCarthy who's committed to Michigan that's at IMG Academy that I would have higher than both Brock and Caleb based off what we've seen so far but as I said that's what sucks is I didn't don't get to go down there and get to separate these guys from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and be able to tell you guys what I really think. Now, if one of you all want to donate a flight to the DC area so I can go watch him play, let me know. My DMs are open. <laughs> but ultimately I it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough. And I don't and I just want you guys to be prepared that no one really actually knows what Oklahoma is getting in terms of Oklahoma media and getting in this guy and is in the complete package, the entirety of it. Can he make all the throws on the field? Can he anticipate throws? Can he make throws in a tight windows? Can he throw guys open? All the things that I look for and that you guys come to me for in terms of evaluation of quarterbacks, we don't know that. So I think it's going to be interesting. We're sort of working on an incomplete product right now, but Lincoln Riley has him as his number one quarterback and that holds more weight than anything. Yes. So, I but just from an OE from a perspective of what you're going to be hearing when and if he commits, it's kind of all working on an incomplete idea. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. No, so. no, no, no. I, I, that's a good little segue into the last little part I wanted to talk about, and we don't have to be, um, we don't have to be too long with it. But I mean, everybody's kind of working with kind of an incomplete set of data, you mm-hmm. know, because. The question still remains, like, if we're going to have football in fall, um, if we're going to have a full season, you know, like anything can change. Like the NBA is doing a completely different thing right now um, than we ever would have thought would ever had ever taken place in the history of, of the game. But and I know like we're already hearing things about, you know, well, this stadium can be at three fourths capacity or half capacity or the cop mole can have half, you know, the stadium full and. It's like, that's cool that we're erring on some optimism because people, I think optimism has its place in the world, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being cautiously optimistic about things. But um, everyone's working on an incomplete set of data, and it just kind of gives me, it just makes me go back to the original question of, like, there has to be football, right? And I and I mean that – None of us are going to have this answer, but I mean that from the perspective of if there's no football this season, I think terrible things could happen if you're like in terms of college football. Right. Um, Because so many like it will just shine a bright ass light on a lot of the inherent flaws with the game. And there are numerous flaws. I recognize them. I agree that they're all flaws but we don't need to go into each one of them. But if there's no football, i.e. no no money flow, I really hesitate to think that there's a future for the game. Right. And so, like, there just has to be college football, right? Even though we don't know. It's, it's so weird because, like, 
our jobs were, were, were basically paid to like make educated guesses about the future. Like, who will the Thunder beat tomorrow? Will they beat them? And then I give you my evidence as to why I think they will or won't. This isn't that. This is just like completely blindly guessing and just closing your eyes and walking forward with a big smile and tuning your ears out to everything like football's coming back, you know, something right. like that. You know, I think Joe Castiglione made the comment a week ago or two weeks ago on his show with on Toby Rowland's show on Sports Talk 1400 that we July 1st is kind of the date. We got to know if there's a football season. So we're heading into that final phase of those decisions. Now, granted, I'm sure those decisions can change. Yeah. I'm sure those decisions will be can be altered given the param- given the parameters of everything. I mean, you look today, the state of Arizona announced that one of their healthcare systems is reached critical condition in terms of the corona in terms of COVID nineteen. State of Texas, I believe I'm correct. I don't want to say this ignorantly, but read it today that they had their most positive cases announced in one day, like in terms of average since this whole thing started. Mm. So we're Memorial day, New York, actually on a positive spin, New York announced that they had like the least amount, mm-hmm. um, in like the last few months, which is a, that it's a good thing. Like, obviously it should come as no surprise. A virus affects different places differently. It's right. not just one uniform thing everywhere, but yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, we're seeing the effects of Memorial Day weekend, of everybody going on Memorial Day weekend. In a week and a half to two weeks from now, in terms of these protests going on, we'll see what the data looks like if we can have fans. In. I think I think if the data is positive in two weeks from now, we're going to have football yeah. because they're going to know, they're going to know, okay, it's still, and I hate to say it like this, it's, you know, it's the age gap that it is, you know, if it's still in this upper 70s, low 80s. Um, if there's more asymptomatic cases, all those factors are going to play into this idea of a football season this year. And kind of along the same lines of what you're saying and kind of along the same things as what I was just saying a second ago in terms of evaluating prospects. Could you imagine signing a guy without seeing him play his senior season? I know. I mean, obviously there's precedent for that. Players do get hurt their senior years. Right. Players do have, like sometimes players get hurt and they, they have an incomplete set of high school tape, but this is just a different animal. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, rankings. Rankings are going to be so screwed up this year. Well, because like, and I hate to bring up this, but it's the easiest thing that I can think of with my hungover brain currently. But it's similar to. <laughs> it sounds funny. It's similar to the Joe Mixon situation in that in in talking about his punishment. Mm-hmm. So when players are injured, like for their senior years, they're still around the team. Mm-hmm. And then when they're able to do some activity, they're probably at the training facility. You know, th- they can at least be around the game in some positive way. Yes, they're not putting film out there for you to see if they've developed, but they're still around the game of football. When Joe Mixon was, you know, punished by OU, yes, it ended up being a redshirt year. He didn't practice with the team. He wasn't around the team. Um, he had to do normal student things. He lost a year of football. Football is not a sport that you cannot – that you, when you're playing it at a high level, you cannot just put it down for a year. Even when you're hurt, yes, you're not playing the game, but like I said, you're around the game. He ran weird. You remember that? He like yeah. The way he tucked the football and like yeah, ran Yeah, he played up. like a guy who hadn't played in a year or had done anything. Now, of course, like I'm sure, you know, if – 
if there are, if something bad happens and players can't play high school football for their you know for this season they're going to still try and be active of course but again football is such a it's more than a specialty sport like it's something that you have to just play mhm it's just something that just has to happen and if it doesn't happen then yeah like coaches are going to be going like recruiting in the dark yeah and I mean, thankfully, Lincoln Riley appears to be, I mean, and is a very intelligent evaluator of talent. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure he can see that, you know, like, all right, I've got enough tape on this kid. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's that's scary just because this way of life, the virus, historically speaking, it'll it'll have its time, Mm -hmm. and then that time will end. But... If you're going to give like five scholarships to five players that you don't have enough film on, but you're just guessing at that point, well, they're going to be a part of the program and for three to four to five years. And if they're not good, you're stuck with that. Like, look at Kel, like, for example, Kelvin Gilliam. This is a guy that he's got all the tools, he is very fundamentally sound already as a junior. But he doesn't play with a high motor. He plays with the high motor, but he's not. He doesn't play with a mean streak. He's not very physical. You know those things you need out of that position that Jalen Redmond plays. And I was sort of counting him taking that next step his senior season. Now you're working on maybe a guy that isn't that doesn't play with that mean streak, that physicality. Yeah, you that, can't practice that you mean streak. You play it. Exactly. Yeah, so. It's, yeah, that's that, that, I think that that's the perfect example to use because Caleb Williams, there is stuff in his sophomore tape that does give you signs that he can be the guy. He, he is more Kyler Murray than we think. Yeah. But when you're looking at Kelvin Gilliam, you're looking at Clayton Smith. I thought he was a little stiff in his junior tape. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just keeps – there's so many examples in terms of Oklahoma and these high school recruits that are juniors, that were juniors that are committed or leans to Oklahoma that you just got to have that senior tape for us in order to present to the audience, to the OU fans, about what we're seeing. And it's just not going to – if we don't have football, it's not going to happen. Now, granted, I do want to say I am extremely confident we're going to have football. Based yes. off conversations I've had. And, you know, because of the reasons that, uh, that we brought up, it's like the bottom line is going to win the, out here. Yeah, con- the money the money side of this and the finance finances for universities, football has to be played. Yes. Whether that's with fans in the stands or, or not. And has this question been answered? I, I'm sorry, because I'm just curious. But when the NBA announced that, like, they're going to miss out on 40% of their lost re- – or on their lost revenue, because that ma- that's – totals that's the total amount that the fans bring to the table so merchandise um in-house arena stuff buying tickets of the gate or whatever um has college football announced a number like that similar you, you've, like, you've heard it for a couple places but not I imagine in it's probably similar entirety i would i know some people have floated out the the gate pro like in gate in concession um the get in price is what they call it like is like sixty to seventy percent of revenue for some of these schools, but I I think that's a little for pro- some. Yes. I think that's a little high for across the board. Yeah, because I mean, you can watch, you can even watch games in the Big Twelve, and the stadiums are like three fourths empty. Right. So, but and then two, I think another big part of this is that all these eyes and these advertisers and this and that that are you're going that you make money on in TV contracts. 
those numbers are going to be up. If there's no fan, even half stadium, the amount of eyeballs now that are going to be on your televisions is going to be so high that maybe it can cut into some of those losses that you expected. I think that that's part of this. That's a theory. That's not anything that I've heard. Um, But I will say I, I am extremely confident that college football is going to be played. I am extremely confident in the state of Oklahoma that high school football here is going to be played. Now that may even look different, but I think we're, I think I'm I'll say it this way. I'm going to have a job in the fall. Well, the big question, high school football in Oklahoma, I mean, is, are the Tulsa schools going to be able to play the state (laughs) on their side of the state? I mean, these are important issues. Tulsa. No, Keegan, good job. Thank you. This is going to be fun. No, it's going to be fun. And uh, and look, this was just kind of um, obviously kind of a catch-up uh, pod because I haven't done a lot of – like obviously all the pods that I'd done up until this point were all the watch-alongs that we did. And, yeah, basically I'll get better – I'll get in better shape. I won't be hung over next time, so my brain will probably work a little bit quicker than it it's doing right now. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun, Keegan. I, I've – Looking forward to working with you and all that shit. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it, it's definitely neat because, like I said at the beginning, I'm just a crazy fan. I'm not. I'm not what I do for the Thunder, like Thunder coverage. That is not me with OU football. Right. So I need I need a John Hoover. I need a Keegan Renault. So. You know, and you know, I trust you as the pulse of the fan too. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> poor fan base. No, um, I have my place, but usually my place is uh, opposite Bob Stoops. <laughs> just kidding. No, I haven't had one listener complain about Bob to me or complain about my uh, disdain for his coaching. Right. Yeah. Just kidding. I, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. He's a legend. Anyway, Keegan, thank you, man. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, really quick, though. Tell people where to find your stuff. Mm-hmm. You can follow me on Twitter at Keegan Renault. That's K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. I'm the managing editor of SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Sports. And I will say that there is some big news that did happen for me before the weekend in two different facets that will soon be announced. And then as well, that also with that news, for those that do follow me now, I am toning it back. Oh. Yes. It's time to grow up a little bit. Oh, oh well. Everybody, thanks for listening to Inside OU. We will be back. Uh, we'll probably have to do a few podcasts remote. Keegan will be uh, Red River. I'll be in the mountains for yeah. six weeks. Yeah, hopefully you get a reception out there so we can, just in case some <laughs> OU news happens. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be putting these out, you know, frequently. As, as, as long as there's news. We'll try our best to react to it and cover it and uh, give you guys something to listen to and keep up your spirits during the uh, harsh times out there. But uh, everybody, be safe. Be nice to each other. Keegan, be safe. Uh, Go f*** yourself. Everybody, have a good rest of your day. (laughs)